Week before last, uh, we were working our, work, working our way through Psalm 51, and week before last, uh, we were talking about David and his confession. Uh, we spent some time, about six verses worth, talking about his confession and how he completely owned his sin and was completely humble before God uh, as he was bringing his confession to him um, and really pleading for mercy. Um, and then last week, uh, we talked about, uh, we, we kind of changed and, and we shifted gears and we moved from confession to um, and, and, and pleading for mercy to petitioning God, David, David asking God, really asking him for grace instead of, so, so he's kind of transitioned from where, where he's going with in, in confession. He's, he's, he's asking for God's mercy and he's saying, hey, I, I deserve death and I know I deserve death for what I've done. That's, that's, that's the, the penalty and I recognize that. And he's pleading for mercy and then he, he moves to petition and he moves from asking for mercy to asking God for grace. Um, and he's asking God to do things for him that he ne knows needs done, um, but he also knows he can't do them himself. Um, so that's kind of what we spent some time talking about last week. Uh, we started with them talking about, you know, a, a God, please cleanse me and make me completely clean and make me acceptable before you. Uh, then we talked about um, let me let me hear joy and gladness and and I said you know that's kind of an audacious request given given where David had been and some of the things he'd done and and you all actually helped me uh, teach that part of it by saying no. The God we serve is a God who wants to bring back joy and gladness, you know, regardless of what you've done or, 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 or where you've been. Uh, so we talked a little bit about that. Then David asked him to hide his face from his sins and blot out his iniquity. Then, and this is one of my favorite verses in this, in this scripture, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Um, so here he's asking for, again, things that he can't do that God has to do for him. And now, now he's talking about, um, I need a whole new heart. It's not just these sins that have to be covered. I need a whole new heart and I need a whole new spirit. And then he ends in verse 12 by saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So throughout this petition, you know, again, he's asking for grace. He's asking for God to do things that he knows he needs um, and he knows he can't meet on his own. Um, what, what we're going to kind of move into now, um, and, and it's, it was on the board, but it got erased. Um, we'll move now to... Um, kind of David's response. So he has become humble before God. He has confessed before God. He has asked God for a, a number of things to include a new heart. Um, and now he's talking about, hey, God, as you do these things, not if, but when you do these things, here is how my life is going to be different, how my life is going to change. It's going to be better. Um, so Psalm 51, verse 12, we'll start with verse 12 and we'll kind of move into verse 13. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then verse 13, then after you've restored me, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. So here, here he's basically saying, I have to be restored. I've already asked you for that. Once you restore me, I want to do your work for the rest of my life. I want to use my story. I've got a story now. I want to use my story to impact others and bring others to you. I want to, uh, but I got to be restored first. So once you do that, then this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Um, I think he understands that his sin has taken his witness. Um, he's, he's lost his witness because of, because of what he's done. And he knows that that restoration from God is what it's going to take to give him his witness back and allow him. He's a king of Israel. You know, he's, you talk about a pulpit. He's got a great pulpit to try and teach and, and, and work with the nation. But he's, he's got to be restored before he can do that. And that's what he's committing to God. And I think that's really, really uh, powerful. 
Um, and I think it's exactly what God wants from each one of us. As we move out of an issue or a problem, I think God is looking for us to say, okay, you made it through that. I taught you some stuff. I taught you that stuff for a reason. So, so move on and let's, and let's, let's help others as, as, as we go. And again, I think David wants to use his story. Um, and that's really kind of similar to what Jesus told Peter uh, once uh, to do once he'd been restored as well in Luke 22, 31 through 32. And uh, Jesus is saying, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. So you failed. I'm teaching you. When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. And I think we're also called to do this in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 4. Um, something, something I've always uh, appreciated. Um, And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So, so Paul is is following on this theme right here, where he's saying God's going to comfort you, but He's doing it for a reason. He's doing it so that you can comfort others with the same comfort you receive from Him. I think that's what David's modeling here. I think that's a part of what a restored life looks like. Um. And then I guess I would just point out before we move on to the next verse, uh, David wasn't the only one with a story. Um, every single one of us in this room has got a story. And every, every one of us has got something that we can use to, to help others and bring others uh, back to that restored state with God. So just, uh, just worth remembering. So verse 14, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. So what that tells me right off the bat is um, his guilt and, and his shame for, for committing a murder. You know, he's, he's already been through his confession. He's, he's back and he's, he's reconfessing, hey, I, I, I am guilty of bloodshed um, and, it's, and it's killing me. Um, but I'm asking you to deliver me from that. And once you do, again, when, not if, but once you do, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. So that guilt removed his song. Um, and if you think about it, um, and, and you think about who we're talking about, we're talking about David here. Um, we're talking about a skilled musician. We're talking about the guy that Saul had play the lyre for him when, when, when the, uh, the evil spirit would torment him, the only thing that, that he could find that would help him to feel better was having David play for him. So David's a musician, and, uh, and his guilt and, and, and has, has, taken his, has taken his song. Uh, but again, the point here is, once you've done this, then I'm going to use my talents, my abilities, uh, to sing of your righteousness. So again, it's using... Uh, his life, the rest of his life, and, and what he's been gifted with uh, for, God's, for God's glory. And then verse 15, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. So this is going a lot faster uh, than I expected it to be. So um, what's that? So yeah. uh, for verses 12 and or 13 and 14, I think it's pretty easy to read those as a quid pro quo. God, if you will do this, then I will do that. Yep. Um, and you've kind of alluded to to this, but you know, I think David is really saying instead that you know I, I'm begging you to forgive me and to restore me to uh, a right spirit and a right relationship with you and out of the overflow of my heart exactly uh, as a result of that i cannot help but to teach your ways to yeah. to rebels i cannot help but to sing uh of with joy for absolutely your forgiveness absolutely 
absolutely. And I, and I got to admit, Tim, the first couple of times I read through this, that is exactly what I thought. I thought that's kind of weird. David's bargaining with God. And uh, and then I, you know, as I as I read through it and began to think through it and and give it a little bit more thought, I realized exactly what you were thinking. No, no, no. He's not saying if you do this, I'll do this. It's when you restore me, then you know I won't be able to help myself. I'm gonna the the, the praise is gonna pour out. The uh, the the declaring your righteousness is it's gonna be something I won't be able to stop myself from doing. Yeah, I also remember. said, sing us the songs of Zion, and they said, how can we, because they, they thought they had messed up so bad, and God, that they were not where Jerusalem was, and that God couldn't find them, yep. and they couldn't sing their songs. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly where David was, and uh, yeah. Exactly. How could he ever really um, be happy again? Mm-hmm. How could he ever sing and praise God? How hypocritical after what he's done? But yeah. there's there's a comprehension of forgiveness and grace. Yeah. That this is a fresh start. I think it's a lot of people just throws down yep. guilt and shame. And I, I, I love that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great put. Thank you. Any other comments? So I think uh, I think verses 13 through 15, all three uh, model for us exactly the right response, you know, and it's it's kind of what we've talked about. It, it's, you know, the overflow of my heart is going to be so such that I, I won't be able to stop myself Um and, and David, you know, is talking about how he's going to model that by, by teaching, by singing, by praising. He's talking about using all the things that God has gifted him with his place as the king of Israel, you know, because who better to teach transgressors um, but, but the king, um, and particularly a king who knows where they've been and knows what they've, knows, you know, and, and, and can, can help them move beyond that. Um, so I think, uh, I think Paul says it well in Romans 12.1. He calls us to the same thing. Um, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true and, and, and proper uh, worship. And he's saying exactly what we just said. God's given us incredible mercy, mercy that we, we, we certainly don't deserve. Um, and as we look at that, you know, our entire lives um, become that sacrifice. Uh, and, and, and again, I think that's what David was modeling in these, these few verses. Okay, verse 16. Uh, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. So, so I think what he's saying here is, look, there isn't anything, <laughs> there isn't anything I can do here. Um, you're not, you, you don't delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings, particularly from me, given where my heart is, and given where you know, um, it's the condition of the heart is 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 what. And he also knew, I think, that there's no atoning sacrifice for adultery or murder. We've talked about that. So there was literally nothing he could do. There wasn't a, there, there wasn't a sacrifice that he could bring. There wasn't. So he was in, he was in a bit of a mess. Um, and I think he also learned, you know, from, from Saul, he's talking about God not delighting in sacrifice. In uh, 1 Samuel 15, um, 20 through 22, and this is um, Saul talking to Samuel. 
and Samuel responding to uh, Saul after he had uh, taken the sheep and the cattle from the plunder. And, and, and it says, the soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So that's what, that's what, that's Saul's excuse for plundering uh, when he was supposed to leave everything. Um, and then Samuel replies, and David knows this, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. So David's, David's got a clear understanding, I think, from this and just what he knows of God um, from, from his life with God, that the sacrifice isn't the key. It's the condition of the heart that's the key. Um, so just how do, how, do you, how do you think that went over? You know, the first time people heard David talking about this and, and the Israelites hearing their king say, you did not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure uh, in burnt offerings. How do, how do you think that went over? Not very important. They're probably just stopped. Yeah, yeah. stopped. Sure. That was their whole tradition. Absolutely. Ritual. Yeah. Your God calls to Israel through his prophets that I really want you to want a circumcised heart. Yep, exactly. I want you to change inward. Exactly. The sacrifices just reflect what should be going on inside. Exactly. And, and I think even during David's time, I, I, it would be my guess that they probably weren't. Um, you know, their entire religious structure uh, revolved around sacrifice. Um, but, and, and Ted, you know, as, as, as you get into the prophets and you start looking at what the prophets have to say about, uh, about sacrifice versus a circumcised heart, um, you know, it, it becomes more and more clear that the people were very insincere in their sacrifice. Um, they weren't uh, necessarily sacrificing out of a, a, a need to be right with God. They were simply following rules and, and regulations and rituals. Um, and they were doing pretty much what they wanted with their lives and then saying, I don't have to worry about it because I have these rituals I can do that are going to make me okay in the end. But there wasn't a sincerity of heart that was going along with it. And I think that's what David is talking about here. Um, you know, and, and Ted, you, you hit on it. Hosea 6.6 6 says, for, for I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And uh, Jeremiah 7, uh, 22 and 23, I, I actually love this verse. Uh, for when, when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and I spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command, Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. So the later prophets are agreeing, you know, with what David had to say uh, about sacrifice here. Um, and I think this is a powerful part of, of where he was going and, and, and a part of his transformation and his renewal and, and, and response was understanding um, that it's not about the ritual, it's not about the sacrifice. Isaiah starts his book out the same way in the first chapter, verse 11 and 12. He, he says, I'm... I'm sick of these sacrifices. Yes. I don't care for that, for the incense, for the blood of bulls and goats. I want what you've just been saying. I want you to live for me. I don't want this emptiness. Yeah. Empty form. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think all of those statements by the prophets and, you know, this realization by David, because I think it was a realization, you know, just comes to illuminate the the problem that the nation of Israel had with what God was really wanting from them at all. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think David realizes this in desperation. 
God, I, I would make any sacrifice or number of sacrifices that you want if I could just make this go away. Right. There is absolutely nothing, nothing I, I can do, do yep. that will erase this. Yep. Right. Um, you know, what you want is me just uh, to follow you. And the only thing that's going to make this go away is your grace. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... Uh, and the other thing, I'm sorry, Joe. No, no, go. The thing I was going to say about that is that if it's not like that, well, then suddenly your entire religion or your faith comes down to, well, you know, just uh, check off A, B, and C and go about your life. Yeah. And then, you know, your your faith is completely meaningless. Yeah. And that's actually where I wanted to go next. Um, you 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 kind of spoke truth with regard to Israel, but I'm not convinced that we're too much different today. Um, you know that we, we don't have ritual sacrifice, right? Um, but but we have our replacements, don't we? I mean, can you think of our replacement sacrifices? Any 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 thoughts on what we do today that that we're trying to do to? maybe make good for, for our sinfulness? Well, we, we consider that if we, if we uh, take the Lord's Supper and we, we give appropriately and we have the right prayers, uh, that we're good with God. Yeah. And that counts on Wednesday night. And, <laughs> and so the reality of it is where is your heart? Yeah. It's not what you do on a Sunday morning. Yeah. It's where is your heart? Yeah, absolutely. Are you, are you going to follow God's rules? Yeah, God's laws. Are you going to follow uh, the the uh, what Christ did and laid out as as how we should live? Yeah, are you going to follow that, or are we going to just do a bunch of uh, magic tricks? And yeah, expect that uh, God will take care of everything. Yeah, it's, yeah completely. Completely agree. And so it also struck me when you read from First Samuel 15 um, about Saul's um, his response, and it was such a justification. And I I feel like that's if, if we're comparing ourselves to the Israelites, it's, it's that I see that so much. You know, it's justifying why we do what we do, and if we can, if we think we're we're okay than we are, right? Mm -hmm. Like now truth is always in question. Well, my truth is different than your truth. And and we're constantly being um, told different things that aren't true. (laughs) And, and I think that's kind of where we, where we kind of live today and what we have to battle today is, is that, and, and that's what I love about David's heart is that he wasn't justifying a thing. He yep. was on his face immediately. He wasn't yeah. trying to say, "Oh, but you know, you know, Bathsheba, she was just amazing," or you know, I mean, right. there was nothing there. He wasn't. He wasn't doing anything to, right. to justify that. He was. He was on his yeah. face. And, no excuses. And yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. His heart was was pricked, and he was he was really doing the right thing, trying to get saying sacrifices aren't important I think he's saying compared to the condition of my heart that's where the value of the sacrifice comes from it's absolutely right and, and when I look at our modern day I mean a lot of times we get caught up in our rituals and our modes of worship for the sake of the modes of worship I mean those things are still important yes but it's our heart yeah and if I'm coming to uh, to participate in my ritual but I've left widows and orphans uncared for, and I've left people hungry and thirsty and 
strangers not invited <laughs> in in prison and not visited. If I've left those things undone, then really my ritual doesn't mean much. Right. So, so in that case, that's when it's not really important if I'm if it's just so I can look good to God yeah. and and not and go ahead and live my life like I want to. Yeah. So I don't think he's saying those things aren't important, but I think he's putting it in the proper perspective. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And he he circles back around to that in verse 19, the last verse. And, and we'll get there, but but you're absolutely right. He talks about right sacrifice, and and what that looks like for for the entire nation, really. So yeah, completely agree. Thank you for that. Any other thoughts or comments? Okay, so we'll uh, we'll move on. So verse 16: You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken heart. A broken and contrite heart, you, O oh God, will not despise. Um, so, you know, once again, he's saying, I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do that's going to get me where I go. Uh, all I can, all I have to offer you is the only, the only thing I own is my heart and the condition of my heart and and where my heart is and the the brokenness and the contriteness of my heart that's all that's all I have to offer um and the beautiful thing about the last part of verse 17 there he says you know a broken and contrite heart you O God will not despise and we've talked all the way through Psalm 51 about how David knew who God was and he knew from Exodus 34, when, when God proclaimed his name to Moses, he knows, you know, that God is, is, is compassionate. He's loving. He forgives trespass, sin, and iniquity. He, um, he is gracious. So David knows all of this stuff. And he, he goes to God saying, I can't do anything, but here's what I have. And I know who you are. And I know that this is this is I know that this is what you truly want from me. Um, so I, I think that's a beautiful thing, and it's it, it goes to the power of knowing who who the, the God you serve, you know, and who He is. Um, it's a really powerful sentiment coming from David because I mean, he is the King of Israel. Right. And here he's talking about a broken and contrite heart, and contriteness is really not a, something you associate with a king. Yep. That's absolutely so true. He's, he's putting God in his right position, and then David falls where he belongs. Absolutely. That's, that's a beautiful sentiment yep. coming from a king. Absolutely. Humility, just total, complete humility. Yep. Um, yeah, and like I said, he knows he knows God will accept it. Um, he, he, he has no doubt, at least, that, that God will accept it. Um, and, and, you know, God, uh, through Isaiah... He reinforces this concept in Isaiah 57 uh, when he says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Um, so, you know, this is, this is God once again talking about um, how, how much he wants to, you know, we've talked about God longs to be gracious to us. Um, you know, he longs to uh, revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. So I think that's really powerful. Um, you know, we talked earlier uh, about uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, and at the end of that parable, Jesus talks about or, or concludes the parable with, with, with a phrase, uh, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but to the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, and I think that's part of what David's talking about here, just a totally humbled heart. Uh, and then um, something that really struck me as I was studying um, in a couple of different veins, um, Paul reinforces and expands this concept in 2 Corinthians 7, verses... Uh, 10 through 13. And he's talking here about godly sorrow. Um, and he's, he's, he has just been talking about the first letter that he wrote that caused a lot of pain and sadness uh, for the church at Corinth. Uh, and he's writing now and he's saying, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. 
Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed by us in any way. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So I think throughout this psalm, but particularly here where he's talking about a broken and contrite heart, I think this is David modeling uh, that godly sorrow in a really powerful way. So any, any thoughts or comments before we move on to the last couple of verses? Okay, so the last couple of verses are a little bit different. Um, verses 18 and 19, May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifice of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So a little different. The focus isn't David. The focus isn't his, the condition of his heart. He's now moved on, and he's talking about the condition of Israel, the, 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 uh, the sacrifice and, and, and the righteous sacrifice of Israel, um, and he's pleading on, on Israel's behalf at this point. Um, I guess there are a couple ways to look at these verses. Um, some scholars believe that they're actually a late add to the psalm. Um, verses 18 and 19, um, they are suggesting maybe were added during the Babylonian exile because we, we talked about how they might have received verses 16 and 17, um, and there's some thought that they added these to counter what could be misunderstood by the people as sort of an anti-sacrifice uh, sentiment um, in, in verses 16 and 17 where he's talking about you don't desire sacrifice or I would bring it. Um, I don't think that's what happened. I obviously don't know, but I, I don't believe so. I think that David at this point is linking his own sin and his own fate with that of Israel. Um, you know, the, the sin of the king threatened the entire nation. Um, and we know this, First uh, Chronicles 21, um, David decided uh, one day that he was going to number, number the fighting people. Uh, of Israel and Judah, and so he he did a census, and uh, that did not please God. And God came back to David through, I believe it was Gad, and he said, uh, "Here here are your options. You got three options. You got three years of famine for the nation of Israel, not for you personally, or you've got thirty days, no, three months of your enemies." chasing you about and, and being victorious over you, or three days of, of famine, or I'm sorry, plague. Um, and, and David obviously chose the plague, but, but that, that cost Israel, not just David personally, but the, uh, the entirety of Israel, uh, three days of plague and 70,000 deaths. So I think David was well aware, you know, that his sins had an impact on the nation. And I think that's what he's saying here. Would it, may it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. I think what he's talking about is, I have sinned, but please don't hold it against the nation. Um, please, you know, prosper Zion. Don't, don't, don't hold this against them. Um, and then there's a beautiful picture, I think, of what restoration looks like both for David personally and for the nation of Israel as a whole because he talks about you know we David talked before you don't you don't desire sacrifice or I'd bring it um, you don't delight in burnt offerings but here he's talking about in verse 19 he's saying then you will delight in the sacrifice of the righteous in burnt offerings offered whole then bulls will be offered on your altar so I think where he's coming from, and I think what he's getting at, is this is, we're, we're, we're moving to the point where, where David has, has made this plea, um, and I think he's painting the picture that you are going to accept, um, you are going to accept my, my pleas, you are going to restore Israel, you are going to prosper Zion, you're not going to hold this against the, the nation. I personally am going to be able to bring uh, burnt offerings to you. 
um, I, I, I am going to and you are going to be willing to accept those offerings from me again because my heart has been made right and the heart of the nation has been made right. So I think, I think that is what the end of this is, is, is all about. Anybody have any other thoughts or, or, or different, different views of that? Absolutely, absolutely. Any uh, any any thoughts or oh, yeah, Ted? Go. Yeah, uh, from the standpoint of sacrifice, I think Alan had put it well. It, it was still the sacrifice sacrificial system was still in place. Absolutely, and that was still what they should be doing. But if your heart is not there, the sacrifices are meaningless. Absolutely, get the heart correct. Exactly. Now the sacrifices are meaningful and they're acceptable to God. Yeah. And I think that's exactly the picture he was painting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any other thoughts or comments? How do you get this right heart? Well, on your knees? I, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, David, David, he knew and he went, he went before God and, and he said, create in me a pure heart and restore a steadfast spirit within me. David David knew he couldn't do it, and I don't think any one of us can do it either. I think, it, just like Ted said, I think it is on your knees or even better, on your face and, and, and pleading for that with God over and over. I think, I think that's how you get it. I think, too, um, I th I've said before, but it's our mess and his message that when we have these it teaches us first what is God teaching us through this and if your heart is being pricked by the spirit it's being led that direction because remember Satan wants to destroy you so if he can paralyze you in this journey that I will never be loved there's no way anybody can, I can you know, ever have any hope of getting past all this if he can stop us then that's he succeeded because his goal is to destroy Jesus yep. followers yep. but um, if he can like David and like Paul I mean, Paul had a lot to overcome himself and but before when he was sought time to destroy the, the mission you know and God said no I got a different direction but his heart was led by the spirit that he accepted that yeah. but uh, I think like Celebrate Recovery and AA and all of these people are using their journeys to help other people Absolutely. because they understand where they are and that's what Jesus is telling us you know you can't do this alone that's why I'm here yeah absolutely absolutely going back to my question can I have a right heart without the spirit no I don't think you can I, I think the spirit brings that right heart I think that's where that right heart comes from. I'm interested in anybody else's thoughts, but that that would be my answer, just right off the right off the bat. It goes back, I think, to what create in me a new heart. Yeah, I can't do it. I yeah. can't create a new heart for me. It has to be done by God, yeah. and that's through His Spirit. Yeah. I think so too. Okay. Well, if there aren't any other comments, what I thought I might do uh, just for the next couple minutes, and then I want to try and I, I, I want to dash through Psalm uh, 32. It's kind of the epilogue to Psalm 51, I believe. Um, but before I do that, I just there, there are a few things that I wanted to kind of footstomp from uh, just walking through Psalm 51. Um, that, that I think are, are kind of the key takeaways from the psalm. Um, so David starts the psalm out, have mercy on me, O God. Um, and right then and there, you know where David's coming from. You know where his heart is. You know that he is humble before God. 
and you know that he knows how desperately he needs um, the mercy that he's asking for. Um, and then right after that, he, he talks about uh, because of your unfailing love uh, and because of your great compassion. So it, it's important, I, I think, that a person understand their need for mercy and, and be humble before God. I think it's also important that a person understand who God is um, and that, you know, you, you look at Psalm th- or, uh, Exodus 34, you look at Psalm 103 or a couple of great examples, great places to go to, to get a picture of who our God is. But in, in order to be on your face before God, and, and, and pleading for mercy, I think it's important that you know who he is and that he wants you there and he wants you to be, um, be he, 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 he longs to be gracious to you, um, but you've got to get there and he, you've got to know that about him, I think. Um, and then he, David, David confessed, um, and, and when he confessed, he confessed fully and he confessed openly. Um, and he didn't... He didn't try to dodge any responsibility. He didn't try and keep it at the surface. He talked about his transgression, which is the, the individual sins. He talked about iniquity, which is can be translated wickedness in his heart, the condition of his heart. And he talked about sin, uh, which, which is my life is missing the mark that you set for me. Um, so he, he went deep and, and he confessed and he was very open. Um, and he understood that his sin was against God, first and foremost. And that while he had harmed any number of people, I mean, we, we had a huge list of people on the board uh, of, of who David harmed through his sin. But first and foremost and fundamentally, his sin was against God. And the first thing you got to do is work your way back into a relationship and, 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 and be restored to God. And that's, that's thing one. Um, and then I think he recognized that he needed a lot. He needed, he needed cleansing. He needed his joy restored. He needed a pure heart. He needed a steadfast and a willing spirit. Um, he knew he couldn't do it and that God could. And he went to God again. He knew who he was. He knew what he wanted. Um, and, and he went to him. And I think the important thing, cleanse, cleanse him and, and make him acceptable to God, restore his joy, cre- create a pure heart, give him a steadfast and willing spirit. These are all things we have in Christ. You know, so David, David was going to God and asking for these things. These are things that we need to recognize and understand that we have. Um, and then respond with your life. That's kind of what we talked about tonight um, is, is responding with, with your life. And that restoral looks like a right relationship with God. So I think that is Psalm 51 in a nutshell. Um, I will toss it open for uh, any last comments before, before. Yeah, Tim. So another thing that struck me as we were going through this, I think actually it was something you kind of brought up, Joe, about um, David being the king. And we don't really know how this impacted the Israelite community. We can only speculate, but if you look through the the period of of history and the various kings of Israel and Judah, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when basically it was um, as the king goes, so goes the nation. Yes. Um, And so it's, it's amazing impact of leadership that uh, you have on the people around you. Right. Um, and so I guess the parallel that I would draw there that for us as Christians, um, as we the Christians go, so we impact the people around us. Yeah, that's absolutely, yeah. The great, great put. Any other comments or thoughts? If not, we're going to dodge over to Psalm 32.
Uh, and then I'm just going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through it, and then I'm just going to pull out a couple of key points. And uh, I, I personally believe this psalm is, is a part of David doing what he said he was going to do. He, he said he was going to teach transgressors his way, God's ways. He said he was going to, uh, his mouth would declare his righteousness and his, his mouth would declare his praise. I believe Psalm 50, or 32 is doing exactly that. I, I believe it was a psalm that was written for the congregation. So I think it's a teaching psalm. Um, and uh, so I will, uh, I will read through it. And then again, we'll just kind of hit a couple of high points. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night after, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time where you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye on you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So we don't know for, for sure, but, but there's a lot of, a lot of folks who, who study this stuff who believe that this is uh, the other psalm that is uh, associated with David and Bathsheba, and uh, if you if you read it, you you can sure you can surely see what David says in Psalm fifty one. You know he talks about blot out my transgressions, um, uh, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me of my sins. He says that in Psalm fifty one, and then here in Psalm thirty two, he's talking about blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. In, in whom the Lord counts no iniquity. So the things he asked for in Psalm 51, he's saying, hey, I am a blessed man because God has done what I asked what, what ask him to do. What I knew he was going to do, he, he has done for me, and I am blessed. Um, and then, you know, verses 3 through 5 when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, and then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover up my iniquity, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Well, that's, that's a really, really short version of David's story right there, right? Um, and, and so I think David is using that story, and everybody knew the story. You've got Psalm 51 to fall back on as well, and, and, and everybody knew, um, and, and I, would, I would think at this time that people would have understood what David was talking about. Um, so here he's using his story. Um, he's teaching people. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. So this is David's instruction. Um, I, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you. So, so, so here you see in Psalm 32 even more evidence of of a restored life and 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 how David came through and came out of what was a horrible period in his life and, and, and devastating for him personally and, and for, the, for the nation, I think. so. Um, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on Psalm 32, but are there any, any thoughts or comments? I know it's an important psalm because it's quoted in Romans, the first two verses. And I asked uh, before, what is... Who is the one that God does not impute or hold responsible for their sins? Uh-huh. And that tells me I have a chance because there is somebody just identifying who that person is. Patrick Meaglin, he was here, taught that 
one of the best definitions, and I've taught it and I believe it, is sin means rebellion. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I like it. I still like it. Mm-hmm. But not, I, I didn't realize not all sin is rebellion. Uh, there are sins, uh, sin of neglect. We talk about that. I didn't know, you know, I didn't go there. So I couldn't possibly be held accountable for it. Uh, sometimes we don't even realize something's a sin. We all grow in Christ and we realize these mm-hmm. things. But is that rebellion? I don't think so. Uh, but forgiven, uh, forgiven sin means they're no longer counted. Right. So uh, Christ looks up uh, upon us not to walk a straight line but to have a correct heart and to whom we serve. So that tells me these verses are pretty important mm-hmm. because that man does, there is a person that's that, and I hope that's me. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't count those things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he knows we're going to make mistakes. Does he count those mistakes? Yeah. If the rebellion, yes. I think he does, probably. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what he's talking about. When we rebel, it's like, marching to the Capitol building. Nobody was found with a gun. If it's going to be a rebellion, I think people would take guns. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if we're, if our intent is not to rebel, I don't think God holds us responsible for them. We forgive those things without our even asking, mm-hmm. knowing that we didn't do it in, uh, against him. Uh, so, but when we do sin, when we do choose to sin, that is rebellion, and that's where we go to God and ask forgiveness. And He says He will forgive them. And those sins, when they're forgiven, are uh, sins that are no longer rebellion. Uh-huh. If He says they're forgiven, they're forgiven. We're no longer rebellious. Yeah, they're not held against so, us. Yeah, uh, we're not serving, and we don't need to worry about our little failures. He won't even count them against us. Yeah. You know, we say that when God looks at the book of life, it's going to, he looks at my name, he, he's not even going to cover it by Christ. Yeah. Is what he's going to count. Yeah. Yeah. So that is his love. Yeah. We need to look at counts. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.